From historic Filipino town in Los Angeles, California, I'm Michael Yunez. I'm Daniel Crook. And this is Hot Dogs. Bananas. That's great. Um, so, brand new news just today, the day we're recording this. Uh, Disney and Lucasfilm announced that a fifth Indiana Jones film will be coming in 2019. Brand new product. Brand new product. Shiny new old toy. Yeah, shiny old new new old. New old toy. Old new. Harrison Ford reprising the role uh, for the fifth time, and Steven Steven Spielberg is returning to direct, which is probably the most surprising development about it, considering he was so apathetic about. Uh, the fourth film, and it completely shows but, but you know, in the final you know product. You know why this is? It's because Harrison Ford sort of walks away with all of the acclaim out of Star Wars: Force Awakens in terms of every like the, the hugability factor. When it comes Absolutely. to the hugability factor, Harrison Ford won Force Awakens tenfold. Yeah, the big question is going to be what George Lucas's involvement will be. Based on what they did with Star I'm Wars, that falls apart. we're inclined to say that it he won't be involved at all. But to be honest, Crystal Skull. It's failures I blame on Steven Spielberg a lot more than George Lucas. Well, we've talked about this because sort of the inception of the idea was so much more pure pulp in a science fiction direction. Exactly. And that was Lucas's contribution. Lucas's contribution, he wanted to push it into the 50s, keep a real timeline, which they did end up doing, but he wanted to move it away from that 30s uh, serial adventure and move it towards the... You know, the paranoid sci-fi 50s films about communism, right, the which, B pictures. By the way, it could still work if they were to do the next movie in the 60s. It could be Indiana Jones and the Iron Curtain. One thing I, I do want to mention, uh, because I've been saying this for years now, or ever since uh, Adventures of Tintin came out, which Love Steven that. Spielberg did, and that was written by Joe Cornish and Edgar and Wright, right. one of our best filmmakers. I say Disney and Lucasfilm needed to go to those guys for Indy 5. I know they're, they're big fans of Raiders, uh, and they've worked with Spielberg before, uh, and made a great serial adventure with him. I think they would kill it. So should we? Uh, we we saw Ten Cloverfield Lane. We haven't mm-hmm. talked uh, a peep about it. No, to we each saw other. it separately. We saw it separately. Um, it's nice. So Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is tangentially related to Cloverfield, the first film directed by Matt Reeves, I thought was okay. I couldn't really stand the found footage shaky cam. Thing it kind of just made me nauseous. Some if it doesn't make you nauseous, we should say then it's Clo- like, Cloverfield's uh, basically a Godzilla movie, but sort it's told of, yeah. through found footage with young protagonists. Yeah, and Ten Cloverfield Lane, which was not originally written as a Cloverfield no. sequel, and it was, uh, it was later called the seller, I think something like that, and then it was later converted into something that takes place or is a blood relative to Cloverfield. And well, it, and none of the actors knew apparently. John John Goodman was saying he, so that makes, he, they, they all found out when the trailer dropped. At, that. That's when everybody found out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a surprise uh, Cloverfield sequel trailer. Um, so what happens in Ten Cloverfield Lane? Uh, it's bit more or less uh, in an an adaptation of the Tim Robbins sequence in Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, <laughs> um, and it mostly works thanks to the performances by Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Goodman. So Mary Elizabeth Winstead, at the beginning of the film, she's sort of running away from her problems and finds herself in an auto accident. And her fiancé. Running from her fiancé as well. And she gets into this accident, and then she wakes up to discover that she's been abducted she's and held against her will. And she's chained to a wall. Yeah, basically. And, and John Goodman is revealed to be the one who... You know, he claims he saved her he and brought her there, or is he captain? And he's, and he's telling her that the end of the world has happened. He's like a doomsday preparedness mm-hmm. uh, sort of dude, and he's really sketchy. 
Uh, and they're in the bunker underneath his house that he's built and decked out with provisions and board games and absolutely. chains. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I was engaged for the mystery um, pretty much the whole way through, even though it sort of falls apart in the end. But uh, it's a film that doesn't have that much on its mind, and that's mostly okay. Uh, what what was your reaction? I think that... I mean, I don't think this movie is any sort of thesis on... Well, I, I, maybe I'll... Let me scale that back a little bit. What I do think this movie is is an exercise in tone and sure. mood and shifting alliances between characters and sort of constantly rejiggering your guesses on those sorts of things. Like, yeah. I think that the direction and just the filmmaking in general is very sharp for a first timer the first Mm -hmm. 10 minutes of this movie are completely silent which i wasn't expecting and you know you know i love carol i am in the tank for any woozy car scenes and if that's how you're starting your movie with some distorted sound in the background i'm with you Mm -hmm. but i was really into that um I was really into the production design of this thing. Um, it feels totally worn and lived in, even though no one's lived in it yet. Like it sort of has like a rough hewn quality. You can totally. you, you can imagine Goodman going in and building this whole thing. And I I liked the tension. I liked the sound design, which, which See, plays into it. Okay, the sound design. Uh, I sort okay, of okay, I give sort me, of disagree me. with you on the sound design, only in that. This I think this film has a serious identity crisis in that it's written and in many ways executed as this small thriller, and it's sort of given this glossy, overproduced sound mix that uh, kind of bothered me a lot of the time. For me, um, because this is such a cut-off, claustrophobic, cloistered environment, mm-hmm. and the drama must take place inside of it. There has to be explosive drama in a small space, which you're inherently disadvantaged there. I once again found that sort of the more dramatic or exaggerated or just blunt sound, really, that added to the tension for me, is what I'm trying okay. to say. Like, yeah, I can buy that. I just thought it was a little loud. Sure. Just in general, it was a loud movie that didn't need to be loud. And I just think, why would you want that? Well, then, I'll, that's a great, before we talk about the other thing, um, talking about a movie that's loud that doesn't have to be loud, I would say the inverse is true for John Goodman's just virtuosic like tabula rasa of a performance Mm -hmm. here yeah he's incredible i made a joke the last time we were recording like i made some sarcastic dig like oh is john good am i gonna yell in this movie or something and he does but he is so restrained in an unnerving way but in a way that again always keeps you guessing and I, i i found that performance so finely tuned and unpredictable and terrifying and cuddly at the same time. Yeah, and I, I think without that performance, the film doesn't work. All of the tension is derived from that character, whether whether the other characters are doing things behind his back or every time he's in in the scene, it's anything goes. Like, what's he going to do? Uh, and, and even when he yells, like in the airlock scene, yeah, he's not overacting. He's shouting because it's actually a life or death situation. It and he's shouting through a, through a thick door. That's right, of course. Uh, so, of course. So, but I think yeah. You didn't like the sound mix, Mikey. Well, Why are you defending it? I'm, I'm not. Def- that's not a sound mix. That's a performance. Uh, that's that's fine. I mean, I, I don't have issues with the uh, with the dialogue levels. You know, he's shouting, and it sounded like he was shouting. I don't know if he's <laughs> but like, uh, honestly, it's not even. I, I love how much time we're spending talking about sound because it's totally like a minor quibble. I, I, but it was I love my... that we've gone this far without saying the words Twilight Zone episode, which it is. Like, yeah. like, but like the lock room, yeah, Cold War yeah, paranoia. It, yeah. it totally is. You're but, absolutely right. But I is. actually will bring up the Twilight Zone in the next bit we're going to talk about. So, uh, 
we should try to tactfully talk about the third act of 10 Cloverfield Lane. I say we abstract the conversation and just talk about... Because, uh, look, everyone knows that some sort of Cloverfield monster comes in. It's, and in, that's, the, it's, it's in the title. And that's a huge... I think that plays a big factor on how audiences are going to watch this film, how I watched the film, knowing that it was related to Cloverfield. Okay. It makes it a little bit of a different experience. Okay. If this was just a thriller called The Cellar Stu- with John Goodwin and, and, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead... Call it Big Vat of Acid. But uh, I wouldn't be watching it waiting for monsters to show up, you know? And, and Don't you think you would still have a feeling of impending outside doom? Whether or not it's an... Like, possibly, but... Uh, a big question that's asked throughout the film is whether or not there is a doomsday taking place at all, and if John Goodman's character just straight up can't be trusted. But knowing that Cloverfield plays a part in this makes you almost certain that something's going mo- down. I think the movie disarms that, though. About like 30 minutes or so in, there's this airlock scene, and I won't say exactly yeah, yeah. what happens, but you are meeting with a confrontation of sorts from the outside world that confirms that... Something is amiss. At least something's Something up, is yeah. going on. But you later find out that that doesn't necessarily represent the absolute truth. So I think I, I think it, I think the film is still playing with the truth and fiction of what sort of apocalyptic scenario is going going on outside. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion because it turns out not to be what the movie sets you up to expect. Mm-hmm. But here's what I love about it, and this is why I ultimately find the decision to tie this into the first Cloverfield. Fan-fucking-tastic. Connecting them does not give an excuse, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, to pit your favorite toys against one another in a variety of positions. What it instead gives is sort of this blanket of tone, um, uh, like, like, like in The Twilight Zone. It, it gives permission to have an anthology movie series. I love this, because, because the next Cloverfield movie could... Um, it, it could take place in the Oval Office. Romantic and comedy. It could be a romantic comedy. It could be a spy thriller. <laughs> yeah. I love this, and and it's and once again, it's it's not just a lazy excuse. To, I kind of love that idea of of the that's Oval what's Office, great about or just like a govern oh. how the government responds. Well, to, maybe I'm to just thinking crisis. about more Independence Day or whatever the next movie is called. Oh yeah, I guess that does deal with government a lot, but uh, and aliens. Yeah. Um, but ha- having said that, I do think that the third act is clunkier than the rest of the movie. I like the idea more than I like the execution. The execution. But there's going to be more I don't, of them now. I don't really think the universe was explored until the third act and where it is wonky and tacked on. But it doesn't. I, I the, the monster doesn't matter. It's 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 the themes. It's 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 the doomsday scenarios that people find themselves in. Exactly. It, it, that's exactly to my point. I don't think this needed to be a Cloverfield film. I think it would have been probably more successful had they not connected it to Cloverfield. Even though I like what you're saying in theory in that exploring... But are you going to care about this if there's a third Cloverfield movie that also explores it in a different way? Are you really going to think back about how the second film was sunk because of... But see, I mean, it's going to come... Like, if the third one ends up being another script that or production that is warped into uh, somehow being related to Cloverfield the way this one was, then I'll probably... I mean, I'd still go see it because I'd be expecting to see a, a good movie that at the end gets a little Cloverfield tack on. Uh, and it could be good, it could be bad, because basically they're they're giving themselves permission to make any movie they want and then call it a Cloverfield movie. And that's... 
you know, good and bad, I guess. If you're gonna make franchise, if you're gonna make Cloverfield this big franchise, this big universe, then sure, free yourself up to make any kind of film you want. But I'm not, I'm not really gonna give them credit for 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 tacking on Cloverfield I to something that's you, not really related. You, but I would so much rather have an outside idea that is birthed of its own individual creation than something that is designed to be a puzzle piece in this stupid fucking jigsaw puzzle. That you're we call absolutely the right. Universe. You're absolutely right. I understand the exploitative edge, the fact that you're sort of sanding off interesting corners but i would so much rather have that than than having something that already had such smooth corners that there was never any texture there i just don't like those being our only options <laughs> a, a big part of how i felt about 10 cloverfield lane is that i wish it was allowed to be the small tense little no thriller that it. it wanted to be and, and, I'm not, and i'm not saying this is like this is the premiere i see i think see, i think anything, i but. think the film uh benefits and it suffers from from what we're talking about, I, so so I, I'm sort I agree. of I'm I, sort I, of I'm sort of in this uh, this middle ground where I where I'm lamenting that this tacked on uh, studio ness um, yeah uh, came to this little tense thriller, uh, while at the same time it you know it has a huge audience and it because it is a totally palatable film. Like I said, it doesn't have that much on its mind, and I think that's what allows it to be presented to a wide audience. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so. I liked the film a lot. Um, I did too. I mean, just just to like sum it up in a terrible way, I'm like BB plus. Yeah, I'm sort of the same. I would absolutely recommend it to the average moviegoer. It's a uh, it's a nice fresh surprise for a March release. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. The performances are great. It's a nice treat. In the I'm not going to say it's saved by its performances, but the performances Elevates make them. the film absolutely. Fresh. But uh, yeah, we both like Ten Cloverfield Lane. We'd recommend it. Um, I think we should take a break, and then we're going to talk about. Zootopia. Zootopia and yeah, we're talking about Zootopia. Or the world's Ebert and Roper. Tell me the thing that Ebert says to Roper in, in that conversation that we both find so great that I can't think of right now. Because that war of the world's is like the flashpoint of where they're two ideologically opposed well, personal Roper, styles. Yeah, Roper says clash. to him, it's like, so you're telling me that if people have their 10 bucks, they should go see the Honeymooners with Cedric the Entertainer and not War of the Worlds. And he's like, no, it does not work that way. <laughs> Reviews are relative. Who cares about the thumbs or the stars? Listen to the context of what we're saying. And Roper's like, so so you're saying that they should go see the Honeymooners? He's then. like, how does it not work that way? Anyways. Um, I, I implore everyone here to please, and this is like, I think the first direct appeal either of us have ever made to whoever is listening to this right now, but I could not encourage you more to look up Richard Roper's video reviews specifically of Magic Mike XXL. Which he performs in a do rag or something. It's a big plant. It's, big it's like a it's like a sideways hat. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Um, he completely misses the point of the film, but he just and he looks like an idiot doing it. So if you if you enjoy dogpiling on Richard Roper and then giving him a wet willy, Certainly I encourage wa- I encourage you to watch the stupid video. Um, Zootopia. So this is the new Disney film, but you could be forgiven for thinking it's a Pixar joint. Yeah, it's it been t- compared to Pixar a lot in yeah. terms of quality, which... It's the idea of inserting relevant educational, not, not like one plus one, but like emotional education mm-hmm. in its messaging to children, coupled with the fact that it is has the conventions of either an action film or some sort of genre or something recognizable enough to adults that they're going to 
really find it to be a whole hoot holler. Yeah. I really find it to be a whole hoot and holler. There you go. I, I generally loved the film, and I loved the way that it, it sort of tackled complex societal issues and tried to make them presentable to children. Yeah. And I think they, they, they did a really commendable job at we, that. We should say the movie, so the movie takes place in a world where it's only inhabited by animals. Yeah, um, anthropomorphic animals. Uh, yeah. Who, who, have yeah. Evol- who have evolved past their natural states, which I think becomes, dare I say problematic but maybe a little bit and we'll get to that but yeah, uh, but, but essentially this is a this is a this is about the first bunny cop ever yeah played by jennifer goodwin judy hops yeah we should say zootopia is is the city where all these different species coexist and in the a variety species, of ecosystems exactly and they represent the ecosystems represent you know neighborhoods in our in our real cities and the different species represent races and which mostly works except for the fact that the italians are rats with big noses that's the one that's that's of a little all difficult the animals, to swallow because, look the joke is is that it's this tiny rat is the godfather yeah and he dunks like dunk yeah he does so the like, brando thing it, it's sort of the, the breaking your expectations is the whole point of it but how about how about an, how about an opossum yeah. how about a cricket like of, of all the things to do why, why exaggerate the nose and, that's the and, the, one, and the bad like the stringy hair that's the one time in the film where it really lingers on that as a joke as associating an ethnicity a real ethnicity with an animal and it lingers on it like there's the scene where they have the 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 wedding scene like in the first godfather and it's just these rats and it's a tiny little scene and the giant bodyguards and it gets a big laugh um but it's a little uncomfortable i totally agree with you but i mean this is a movie for kids that is essentially an anti-racist parable yeah it's about breaking down prejudice and stereotypes see and it also it introduces kids to the concept of systemic racism and systemic oppression and you have like your negligent mayor there's a lot of complicated things that you would never expect in an animated disney film i completely agree uh, and it's that's why it's taking a note out of the pixar book absolutely and, and that inside out for instance is about it's about telling kids that it's okay to experience a range of emotions, yeah. even sadness, and that if you aren't ever sad, you're actually not you're actually not doing this whole life thing right. Like if you're if you're going to be a fully functioning person and you ever want to feel good, you have to embrace the bad, which is a wonderful message for kids. This message is much more topical, yeah. but you know it's just as effective. I'm, I'm not going to weigh them one against the other on this note. It's great that both of these films chose to insert something this constructive. Can you think of another kids' film that tackles this issue? Shark Tale? Not even gonna, not even gonna respond to that. Okay. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, the uh, introducing kids to to racism and the concept that we are all different and embracing our differences is important. It's a, it's a, it's a plea for diversity. This movie. It's a plea for diversity, unification through diversity, which sounds oxymoronical, but it is not. No, no. I mean, uh, it's, 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 it's completing a picture. It's not afraid of attacking what seems like contradictions. And it's easy to get yourself into a big mess when you're when you're trying to juggle these things. Like like one of the brilliant devices of the film, which plays a huge part, is that the there are hundreds of different species of animals, but they're divided into predators and prey, like in the animal kingdom. The predators are victims of prejudice throughout the film and it's in large part about that because what's happening in the film is the the big case that's 
that uh, that Hops is trying to solve is that there are predators that have been going missing, or there are animals that have been going missing, and the link there's like 14 of them, and the link is that they're all predators, and they've all gone rabid. You, yeah, you it it's uncovered that they have all gone rabid. They've gone savage. Right. Um, and there's a point in the film where Hops is explaining to the at media at a press conference. Yeah, a press I was hoping we were going to talk about this. That's uh, the predators are are reverting to their to their nature. She blames biology. She, she blames biology and and the Jason Bateman character who is a fox and who her is partner. who's her partner throughout the movie couldn't believe that she said that and she doesn't understand why she was wrong at first and it's the like film marcia doesn't, clark uh, in the people versus oj simpson when you have charles darden talking to her about how how black issues are and the well even, so even, right. even, even better example you're so right is when he's talking about how um the racist white cop is is one of those white guys who like pretends to be polite but they're not actually polite and then marcia clark is like no, that just means he's polite. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to you have to make them aware of the error of their ways and the way they talk about race. While at the same time, you can't really blame them for their limited worldview. You have to attempt to expand their worldview, which is view. why which is achieved through diversity. Absolutely, that's like a really memorable scene in that film, and that's honestly that's in probably the, the strongest Trump, scene I mean, in the film for me. It, it, it is hugely resonant and disturbing that this film has been in the pipeline for a while and it drops now and just the idea of political pressure marginalizing and um, vilifying yeah. the other in, in the mob mentality that ensues easily afterward by appealing to people's basest fears and, and prejudices that have been you know if I'm not mistaken prey are the majority in Zootopia is that, is, is that right? I don't. I, I don't know. I, I believe that's what it is, and ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to spoil it in detail. But the but the villainous plot is about keeping the prey in fear, which is really resonant today with Donald Trump and and the Republican Party and the fear mongering. And uh, I would just never expect a movie from Disney to be an anti-nativist, like anti-jingoist type of film. It's, yeah. it's remarkable, and they mostly pull it off. It's like Ten Cloverfield Lane for me. It's like. You pull off 90% of what you're trying to achieve, and I can't hold that extra 10% against you when what you're trying to do is so revolutionary in completely different ways. I mean, 10 Cloverfield Lane, it's about how we view franchises. Zootopia is about how we view other people. So very different. But even if it doesn't, I mean, it, it does stick the landing. But even if I have a couple quibbles with it, this is just mm -hmm. so admirable, the way that they pulled this off. And, and also, it's not just the social messaging. This is a film noir. I mean, this movie, th this is, mo this movie is about our protagonist who is a cop style. getting one one lead, she gets Detective one lead, story, yeah. and it unspools into a pit of corruption that goes all the way to the top. You yeah. know, it's all fantastic. The way to the top. Oh, and there's also like um, the drug ring elements of this movie. This movie's relationship to drugs is very fascinating, or in that the, the idea the, of the, the, the allegory idea, that it presents because yeah. it's a kids movie and it's not going to explicitly mention drugs or no, show drugs, but the, idea but the, the imagery the idea, is resonant. In that, in that, power is poisoning people. Yeah. And uh, another scene that I really liked, um, which is another tricky issue, there's like, when Hops first arrives at the police department, she's obviously totally ostracized and given, she's made into a meter maid. Uh, Idris Elba does the voice of the police captain, who's he this, has big, the best uh, joke in the this movie. big burly predator. Uh, most, most of the cops are predators. And then there's this tiny bunny who comes in who believes she can do anything she wants in Zootopia. She can be anything she wants to be, so she's trying to be a cop. And uh, when she first arrives, everyone's attitude is sort of 
you're just here to meet diversity requirements. You're affirmative action. Exactly. And the film tries to make a case for why that isn't a bad thing, which is a tricky thing because the way that it's animated and everything, it's hard to picture her as a cop in this world because she is like two feet tall and Idris Elba's character is like seven feet tall. You know, like anim- like the differences are a lot greater than they are in our real world. It's not just the color of their skin and we all have the same autonomy because these characters are anatomically all over the map. Not autonomy, anatomy is what I meant to say. There you go. I have nothing else to say. I don't have that much else to say. You know, it's easy to lament the, the tradition of kids' movies not really being for kids. Filmmakers have just littered their children's animated movies with adult humor. Um, it's it's sort of noble that Zootopia is is pretty much beginning to end kid humor. It's it's much more sophisticated. Well, its like, themes are its themes are sophisticated, but the humor is not that sophisticated. Okay. So, if I had okay. one complaint about Zootopia, uh, I would wish that it had some some more sophisticated humor. Even though that's uh, me asking for it to be tailored towards me, which it is not. So sure. My one complaint with the movie is that it's hard to engender sympathy for your protagonist when they are a meter maid who delights in giving 200 tickets. Absolutely. I was... That, that was tough for me. I almost oh, yeah. turned on the movie completely I, in that I, montage. We, we were sitting like, next to each other. Why are you so zippy right now? You're ruining my life. We saw we saw it together and, and I, I flipped off the, the screen at that point. Yeah. We were sitting in the back we so the no back kids row. saw that. Yeah. But uh, the, yeah, hard to sympathize with a meter maid who's giving 200 it, tickets before noon. It's to the film's credit that after that egregious example of inhumanity in five minutes you're back on our side yeah totally and jennifer goodwin's great here jason bateman is great here is great jenny slate is great shakira is great jk simmons jk simmons is wonderful yeah great cast so zootopia um i don't want to have a whole prognostication thing but i do think this movie has a chance to win the oscar next year there's so so much room between now and then and maybe sausage party which just dropped an excellent trailer sure did maybe sausage party will go where anomalisa couldn't yeah and will be the first r-rated comedy this one admittedly with a big bit of raunch relish on top well i may may win the animated oscar i love when unexpected things happen zootopia seems like the safe bet at this point big hero 6 was a surprise win wreck it ralph was a surprise loss so what was supposed to beat big hero 6 how to drain your dragon 2 was the favorite that was the prohibitive favorite yeah so big hero 6 if kate blanchett's in your movie you're not going to win best picture um yeah i think zootopia has as, as good a chance as as any film if I had to put money on it now, I would say it's going to win. And, I, and I'm going to go with Sausage Party just to be a contrarian. <laughs> Espe- well, especially since diversity is such a big deal at the Oscars now. Right. Um, that would, oh that my would God, be great. you're so right. And you're going to have Shakira uh, giving Shakira, a, a performance. Shakira will be nominated for Best Original Song. Uh, and there's going to be this, and her performance is going to be all about uh, and joining hands s- uh, across uh, the world. And then she'll lose to Sam Smith. And then she'll lose to Sam Smith. <laughs> Anyways, I think the writing's on the wall. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll see you next time. Yes. Um, please come back. Thank you so much. Come back, please. We're begging you. Bye.